Hi, this is pianist Lynn Ariel. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast with Chris Davis. You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for pressing play on this episode of Behind the Note Podcast. We have a great show for you again. I have somebody here who I feel like is a steal. I feel like I won the lottery because a lot of people don't know about this person yet, but that is going to change in a matter of time. So I I kind of feel like I discovered her even though I didn't. I feel like I did. And we have somebody from the Los Angeles area by way of Seattle, Washington, a jazz vocalist, someone with great pitch great time, great tone, you know, all of the great ingredients you require to be a great musician. Her last album was Blossom and Bee from 2012, and this year, 2016, she will have a brand new album. I'll let her tell you about that. And she, she teaches at the University of Southern California. I am very happy to present to you right now, Miss Sarah Gazarik. Sarah, welcome to the show today. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Now, I just told the people a little bit about you, but we still <laughs> want to get to know you better. So I want to ask, for those who don't know anything about you, just tell us what you do in your music career. I am a Los Angeles-based jazz singer. I have a rhythm section band that I lead and I'm so honored to record with and tour with nationally and internationally. Um, and I also teach on faculty at the University of Southern California and am a proud graduate of there as well. Right on. They hired you right back. At, <laughs> that is so cool. Was there any break there at all? Did you go right in? Yeah, there was a break. You know, I graduated in 2004 and toured and recorded and kind of started to establish myself as a, a touring musician. And then in, I think, 2011 was when I was hired back to teach on the jazz faculty there. For the people who have not heard Sarah, you have <laughs> to listen to her. <laughs> Sarah has one of these rare voices that just seem unreal. You think it's it's fake, but... <laughs> It's it's too good to be true, but it's it's real. It's, just oh, check her out. It's you. beautiful. Thank you. So how long how long have you been performing as a professional musician? I discovered jazz in high school, like a lot of kind of younger artists. Um, grew up in Seattle, Washington, and was so looking back, just so grateful to have come up in a really wonderful uh, high school high school jazz program where the teacher super passionate about passing on like a, a pretty deeply rooted education in, in the jazz tradition. And so in the jazz choir, you know, instead of wearing sequin gowns and singing arrangements of somewhere of the rainbow, we were really like transcribing Miles Davis solos and writing lyrics to them. And, uh, I, I am just so grateful for that time that I had there at Roosevelt high school in Seattle. The first gig paying gig that I ever had <laughs> was my senior year in high school and I sang at a little cafe um, like a bakery in Seattle but I had a number of different performance opportunities with the big band and the jazz choir our high school big band was invited to compete in the essentially Ellington competition 
in New York City in 2004. And I think that year we got third place and I ended up winning the first ever, it was the first year that they ever had a vocal feature. So it was the first ever Ella Fitzgerald Charitable Foundation Outstanding Vocal Soloist Award. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's a mouthful, but it was an honor to receive it and um, went on from there to go study at USC and, you know, studied with some phenomenal musicians and, and singers. I was a longtime student of Tierney Sutton and Carmen Bradford and John Clayton, um, Shelley Berg, Alan Pasqua. It's a lot of really, really great um very important mentors that I walked away from my days at USC with good relationships with. Yes, relationships, that is everything in life. And especially <laughs> as a musician, you need yeah. those recommendations just to get your career started and then to continue. Absolutely. And especially in a tradition like jazz, you know, I think that there's this big, long tradition of, of mentorship and apprenticeship. Um, and I'm just so grateful to have found a couple of really wonderful, very important mentors that have, have been big champions of mine throughout the throughout my journey. I like to first ask you, when did you decide that you wanted to pursue a professional career? And after that decision, what were some of your first steps toward that? I think honestly, I mean I mentioned the the essentially Ellington competition and I remember having a conversation with Winton Marsalis um, right before I walked out on stage and I felt so comfortable talking to him and he was so warm and welcoming and, um, you know, I was such a sponge, but he was, he was such a, a beacon of information and, and, um, you know, free from, from pretension and, and just kind. And I remembered being really taken by how approachable he was and how willing he was to just kind of speak to me before I walked out on stage. And when I, you know, walked over to the microphone in front of 1,800 people at Avery Fisher Hall, Lincoln Center, um, to sing I Got It Bad and That Ain't Good. I just felt so validated and comfortable that I was a young person in this genre, but it was a genre where sincerity is key, and I was allowed to say something with the music, even at such a young age. And I think it was that moment, you know, being so, so, I guess welcomed by Winton and realizing that that you know these people in the genre are kind and welcoming and eager to pass along the tradition um but then also so comfortable with the the concept of sincerity with the music I think that was when I realized that it was something that I wanted to to strive for and to try to continue to strive for well, after that decision, then what did you do to move toward that? Well, I had already started to apply to different colleges, and some of them were just liberal arts schools or, or state schools and, you know, just good general education schools. Some of them were really, really great music schools. Um, and I, I kind of had told myself when I was applying, if I get into these schools, that's a sign, or if I don't, it's a sign. And the big change was that I didn't care for the sign. I just wanted to go. Um, but fortunately... USC really dug my audition and was willing to give me a pretty pretty great financial aid package. And um, so it all kind of came together to make it happen. So after school was over, I'm trying to trying to get to, you know, some of the first performances or activities that happened for you. Well, I, you know, school is not cheap anywhere you go, and particularly USC. And I knew that as a jazz major that, you know, paying off student loans was going to be tough. And so I 
constantly was applying for different scholarships and financial aid awards and, and different things and ended up winning a Downbeat Student Music Award for Best Collegiate Vocalist one year and um, just happened to be seen, that magazine happened to be seen by some promoters that were booking the Concord Jazz Festival Tour with Karin Allison and Alita Adams and Diane Shore. And they wanted a young, undiscovered singer for this for this pretty extensive tour. So my junior and my senior year, I was out on the road with these women um, for three months at a time, just learning everything that I could on the bandstand with them. It was a lot of exposure and was presented you know, to a number of different record labels and booking agents and ended up signing with some, some pretty major folks. So I think that honestly, you know, the thing that I always tell young people is like, just do everything, you know, go to all the camps, apply for all the scholarships, make all the connections that you can. Because I wouldn't have guessed that my, my applying for different awards in hopes for money to go to college would actually have opened a door to the beginnings of a career. All right, so you had you had the privilege of touring with with Diane Shore, and tell me some lessons that you learned from uh, working with those three ladies. Yeah, every day was like a really really wonderful learning experience. From you know watching Karen Allison interact with the sound guys to Olita Adams interacting with the audience, Diane Shore talking to the band. Um, there were some really specific beautiful lessons that I remember learning. I was, you know, understandably very nervous, like it was palpable. And um, I remember after all of my songs, I was really quick to thank the audience. You know, even before they would start clapping, I would, you know, love, thank you, you know, (laughs) instead of like love, pause, let them clap, take a second to let the song close and then, and then be grateful, you know, and and Alita, um, who really is like a, a, a musical mother to me and continues to be. Um, she took me aside one day and said, honey, I know that you're so grateful to be here and I think it's so beautiful how much you're learning and how much you're growing and you really do deserve everything that's coming your way. But I want you to know that your audience loves you and they want, they want to be given that space to take the time to appreciate what you've just given them. And when you say thank you so quickly kind of shuts that down so just take take in the beauty of that moment of people being grateful for your gift for what you've given and it was so heavy you know I didn't I didn't even realize I was doing it but it was such a beautiful a beautiful gift from her and so now every time I wrap up a a song I think of her you know and hear those words in my mind just to be kind of the symbiotic relationship of gratitude you learned about stage presence and interacting with your audience as well Absolutely. Were you fortunate enough to learn anything about just business while you were with them? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, they all had managers and booking agents, and so there wasn't a whole lot there. Um, but definitely in terms of, you know, how to interact with an audience member after the show or how to, you know, what, what to request in monitors, what to listen for with the band, how to how to run a rehearsal with the band kind of what the expectation is for how quickly to learn things and how quickly arrangements can be modified on stage and how to communicate that. These are all things that were discussed in the classroom, but really just couldn't be taught. You know, it's one of those that that you learn over years and years of, of practice and, and actually delivery. And so to watch that happen every single night for months was just like, the perfect addendum to this four-year education. So right now, 
do you have a team of people helping you with your career or are you, are you doing everything on your own? I have a different, I have, I have a, you know, a combination of, of different folks. We have, I have a manager, um, and a booking agent. And I think most jazz musicians would agree that, that everybody's situation is different. You know, that some people have management that books their flights and, and deals with all of the emails and even writes, you know, their Facebook status updates. And, um, that's a pretty hands-on manager. And then there are some managers that just kind of deal with the things that the artist doesn't want to deal with. Um, you know, like, like making sure that the money gets paid at the end of the night or, um, you know, negotiating a record contract or, you know, different, different things. Um, and then same thing with booking agents. I think some artists have a booking agent that's out there all the time banging down doors. And some people have the booking agent that, you know, when you get the call for the Playboy Jazz Festival, they're willing to answer the phone. Um, so I'm somewhere, definitely somewhere in between where I'm still working pretty hard um, on my own to, to get some stuff um, and happy to be banging down doors, but also very grateful to have some really wonderful people on my team to help with that and to kind of do it in tandem. How did you select your team? You know, I think for me, it's important to have, just because I'm, I'm willing to work pretty hard, I have, it's important to have people who see that have the same vision and are willing to kind of hit the ground running. And um, I met with a number of different managers a couple years ago when I was transitioning to new management and just had a really great connection with the guy that I've been with for the last two or three years. His name is Jeff Nebin, and he also represents um, the Yellow Jackets and a couple other really great um, highly respected instrumentalist groups. And I just liked him. You know, I, I felt like from the get-go that I could hold a really strong conversation with him and we had a great rapport. He was intelligent and really honest. And that's, to me, um, more important than having somebody who's a shark or going to fight tooth and nail and, you know, maybe burn bridges in the long run. Right, that's so true. So you mentioned that it's important to have the same vision. That's that's exactly right. Because you want some, like you just said, you want somebody who's gonna be with you for as long as possible. Absolutely. You, you don't want to replace anybody or change your personnel uh, and lose momentum. Right. So so that Absolutely. makes perfect sense. Now now with Jeff, did you seek him out yourself, uh, like cold or did somebody recommend him to you? Well, you know, I mean, as we were saying before, it really comes down to those relationships. And so there were people that I was in contact with that there was kind of like the cold call, you know, like, you know me through this person. I appreciate the work that you've done with that person. Um, and I had a couple of people who I think had heard that I was looking for management that also cold called me. Um, Jeff was somebody that was highly recommended by... Um, uh, one of my dear friends who is a, a club promoter in St. Louis and he had really great things to say about Jeff. I asked him who some of his favorite managers were that he liked working with. And Jeff was at the top of his list just as a straight shooter, somebody who wasn't a pain in the butt to deal with, was honest and easy. And I think that's key. And so to get that recommendation um, and then to hear from my promoter friend that Jeff knew who I was and was a fan and wanted to have a meeting with me. That kind of, to me, was was pretty important and felt like the relationship had already kind of begun. All right, we're going to change gears a little bit. 
And will you tell us some of your goals that you've yet to achieve? What's, what are you excited about right now? Well, you know, I mean, I think the thing with jazz and music in general is that you never, you're never done, you know? And so there's always people who I want to sing with and play with and write with and tour with and do more things with. Um, a big goal for me is to just be touring with my band more, you know, and recording another CD. We have some music that I really want to get out there. So to continue to do more of that would make me really happy. Um, I also really love doing symphony performances. We have a beautiful symphony book um, that was arranged by a phenomenal orchestrator and ghostwriter here in Los Angeles. His name is Brad Dechter, and he writes for most of the big movie scores. So they're these giant orchestral grand arrangements. They're so gorgeous. Um, and big band shows as well. I was granted access to Ella Fitzgerald's big band charts and nice. was given permission by the Ella Fitzgerald Charitable Foundation to use them when I'd like. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And so I've done a couple big band shows with some of her music and want to do more. And I have some John Clayton charts in my my book, too, that I'm so excited about. Oh, man, you're loading about. up. You're just getting stocked and you're <laughs> ready to unload. I'm ready to, yeah, lock and load. Now, for um, those of us who can't come to your live show, are you doing a live stream for us? We don't do live streams. No, we should do that, though. All right. I mean, we're, I'm going to try to twist your arm to get on Periscope. or. Oh, or I just joined you, Periscope yesterday. Yes. <laughs> it's really fun. Right on. Yeah, we want to check yeah. those things out. That's a that's a big deal that you're able to get Ella's book, too. I know. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's kind of a big deal, yeah, that they were kind enough to grant me access because um, those are definitely on lockdown. But beyond the big band stuff, you know, there are definitely some some artists that I would love to work with and have been fortunate enough to work with but want to do more of. Um, I, I recorded a couple tracks on Kurt Elling's last CD, and we just had such a great time together. And there was some talk of, of us maybe doing some dates together. And I'd love for that to happen. Um, I'm also a huge Fred Hirsch fan. There's an article that he does um, where he was speaking with his friend uh, Rosanna about um, his feelings about singers and the importance of the lyric and just resonated so deeply with me. And I, I, I would love to work with him. And a really great singer-songwriter out of England named Laura Mavula. I'm a big fan of hers and would love to work with her someday. So, I mean, it, and it, the list changes every day. <laughs> Yes. There's just so much that I want to learn and do and get better at and people I want to pick brains of and Well, that's going. very good. You know, we were just talking to John Clayton a few days ago. And as we're recording this, I'm not sure how many episodes prior that would be. But he, he mentioned the importance of having goals and and having certain people in your sights. Um, because as you're working toward that goal you'll end up improving your skill and you may change your mind, but in your pursuit of, of trying to play with a certain player, you'll end up with all, all of these other great opportunities and performance situations Absolutely. that, yeah, you, you actually will enjoy and be prepared for because you have, you've had that goal. So that's beautiful. I think it's important for people to always have something that they're working toward. I love that. That's great. Now, I mentioned John Clayton this uh, for the second time, and he was somebody you got to work with. Tell us, how, how did he help you in your career? 
Well, John, John is my dad. He's my music dad. And he, uh, I call him my pop pop. Um, he was on faculty at USC and his son, Gerald was actually the first pianist in my band. And my bassist at the time was a student of his. And, um, you know, just through association, we, we kind of forged somewhat of a relationship. I'm not sure when it, when it really turned at some point it did. And I think there were just a couple times where I went to visit him during his office hours and would pick his brain a little bit about things. And, um, I remember when we were auditioning for some very major labels, my, my junior and senior year, I would sit with him and kind of pick his brain. And, um, you know, cause I had been told by a number of people that as a young singer in jazz, um, I had to be careful with too much exposure too quickly because I didn't want to burn out or become one of the jazz Frankensteins and for people to not take me seriously. And that if I wanted to be taken seriously, that I needed to have a really slow burning career and, and that I needed to be cautious about being signed out of the gate. And, you know, um, all of these different, different projections were kind of placed on me and on my path. And I remember going to John and just saying like, I, you know, I'm auditioning for these major producers and these major labels. And I just feel like maybe I'm not ready. And, um, and John was so phenomenal. I feel like there were so many life-changing tidbits of information that he gave me in those meetings. And the first one was that everybody has their own path. And it was, yes. that was huge, you know, that, yes. that everybody has their own path. And there's no path that's more or less valuable. Um, it's just your path. And so he was saying, you know, that, that if my fear is that, you know, because my path might be quicker or um, more visible or seem a little different than what I had anticipated it to be, that it's understandable, but that I need to let that go. And that if I felt like I wasn't ready, that when something like this comes around, you get ready. Yeah. So, you know, to, to answer the phone and say yes, instead of I'm not sure, I'm scared, you know. And he gave me a little mantra as a as a 20-year-old who was auditioning for Verve and Sony and Blue Note, my mantra was that um, I may not be worthy, but I belong here, which is to say that there might be people who deserve this just as much as I do, or maybe even more, but that I have absolutely every right to be here as well, and that I have things to say, and that I want to say them. So that was important. You know, I felt like he was the first person to give me permission to have a voice as a young singer, which was huge, so huge. And I'm so eternally grateful for him for that. And we ended up signing with a smaller label. Um, and John ended up producing our first CD. And it was a really beautiful, validating, honest um, snapshot of who we were as musicians at the time. And I'm so proud of, of that record and his involvement with it. And, and I'll be forever grateful to him for what he did for my career. And what's the name of that first record? So we can check it out. <laughs> that record is called Yours, and it came out in 2005, and it features a couple different original compositions, but a number of arrangements of jazz standards, um, like Cheek to Cheek and Every Time We Say Goodbye and You Are My Sunshine, um, but also some contemporary standards, like Joni Mitchell's song, The Circle Game, and we have a, a medley of the Beatles song Blackbird and the great jazz standard Bye Bye Blackbird. Now, before we started this recording, you told me that you're working on a duo project and you want to tell everybody about it. Please let us know what's going on. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so yours was recorded in 2005, and, you know, that was 10 years ago, and I've been working with the same pianist since then, and he is hands down one of the best pianists in Los Angeles. His name's Josh Nelson, and he is kind of the guy that everybody calls, you know, he, he kind of can play everything, but is so sensibilities are so sensitive and, and, um, just right on. And we grew up together musically, you know, we, we toured together, we've written so many songs together and arranged together. And he's been a pretty strong voice in the Sarah Gazarek band for years. We had done a couple gigs where we, we just did some tunes, the two of us and people responded really strongly to the relationship that we had. And so about a year ago, we started touring with this project and arranging for it and writing for it and um, decided to go into the studio. We went into Capitol Studios in Hollywood, California, and it was produced and engineered by the legendary Al Schmidt, who I think he's won more Grammys than Beyonce and just got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Um, and he's known, you know, for for engineering and or producing Frank Sinatra and Sam Cooke and Barbara Streisand and Bob Dylan and Diana Krall and Michael Bublé. And, you know, he's worked with everybody. Um, so we we're so excited to work with Al in January. We laid down 15 tracks and are currently in the process of selecting which ones are going to go on the U.S. release. And I think people, I'm just so excited for them to hear the culmination of, of years of growth with Josh. It's a really special project. Beautiful. Can't wait to share it with the world. <laughs> and you have a lot of flexibility because it's duo, piano right. and voice. Can't right. wait to hear what you guys decide to do. Thank it's, you. It's going to be great. Thank you. So I want to know two more things from you. Sure. Why did you choose the West Coast versus the East Coast? Los Angeles <laughs> over New York. And how does that mm -hmm. work out for you? Obviously, it's working because you're still there. But, uh, <laughs> right. Why, why did you choose this way? Well, you know, I, I grew up in Seattle, and that's on the West Coast. And then I moved to L.A. to go to USC, and that's on the West Coast. And immediately, as I said, out of college, I had a booking agent and a record label and a band, all of which were based in L.A. Everybody's there. Everybody was there. Gotcha. And we started touring, and now I teach at USC, and... Um, so while I, I really do try to get out to New York for a couple weeks every year, just to kind of check out the scene and hang with some of my buddies, LA, LA is home for the time being for sure. And finally, what advice would you give a, a young person just starting their career and now assuming they have the chops. So <laughs> that, that foundation is there. So yeah. what, what advice would you get to someone just starting out? I would just say, do it. You know, I mean, there's so much information out there and, there's so much saturation and people and connections to be made and songs to learn. It's overwhelming. It's really easy to get overwhelmed. But to stay connected to the muse, you know, like with balance, the learning, with the connection to the love of the music is key. And so, you know, going out to hear your music and introducing yourself and making music with new people and, um, you know, just continuing to listen and, and perform and and try new things and push yourself. Um, another bit of John Clayton wisdom that was imparted on me which is, is that the homework never ends, you know? Right. So as long as, as long as you keep doing your homework, you'll always have a place in, in music. 
you know. So to keep keep going and keep doing it, that's the only thing I'd say. Beautiful advice. Thanks for sharing your time with us, Sarah. We are so happy to have you today. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for pressing play today on this episode of Behind the No Podcast. I would love to hear from you. So please go to BehindTheNote.com and leave a voicemail. Let me know what you think about this episode or any other episode you may have heard. Let me know which one you're talking about. And if you have a question, that'll be a great place to leave it. All right, that's all for today. Thanks for pressing play and God bless you.